Hey, Dental Associates and new practice owners, welcome to the Associates on Fire podcast powered by Practice CFO. This is the podcast that teaches you what you never learned in dental school, the financial side of dentistry. We cover topics from planning for ownership, buying a practice to student loans, taxes, and all things financial for the hungry to learn dental associate. So let's light it up. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to this podcast slash screencast. We here at Practice CFO have been getting a lot of questions about the new regulations or the new legislation that was just signed into law on December 27th by President Trump and is now being rolled out as we speak. And uh, we here at Practice CFO recently sent out a pretty comprehensive newsletter to our clients and uh, in global email list to try to address a lot of those questions. Well, this is a follow-up to that to verbally and visually for those of you who are on the webcast and can see our PowerPoint slides. For me just to walk through that email or really to walk through the provisions of this legislation and how it impacts the dental community and dent- dentists and, and practice owners. So let me... Um, let me, let me jump into this. This bill, which is called the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021, uh, amends a few items, or should I say clarifies a few items from the CARES Act, and then sort of extends a few items and then adds a couple new uh, stimulus provisions as well, since many states, especially here in California, are very much in a, an, affected, uh, an affected period and uh, there are still restrictions on people moving about in the, the economy. Dental practices at some level are still affected. And so more stimulus is now available. So let's talk about these. First off, so today is, today is January uh, 7th, which is Thursday. And as of right now, the, one of the main provisions that so many dentists are asking about is the new installment of PPP or PPP2, as we're calling it, the, Payte- the Paychecks Protection Program. And, um, and that's one of the main things we're going to talk about here. If you're on my screen, for those of you that are watching the webcast, uh, there's a, uh, we're going to talk about the new Paychecks Protection Program. We're going to talk about what to do with employees who get the virus. We're seeing a lot more of that right now among our dentists. And then for those of you who live in California, stay on at the very end. We have a few updates for California law that will affect you that many of you in California have have had questions about. Those of you not living in California, you can stay and listen if you want. I think a lot of the states have similar, uh, they've rolled out similar um, stimulus as well as California, but you know, California is California. They're always a little bit different. So you can potentially drop off if you like to after we get through the PPP2. And then what do you do about uh, some of the federal regulations around COVID-19 if your staff get that? Also, what if you get that? I'll talk about that briefly as well. Uh, Just to reiterate, those of you listening slash watching, our podcast program here at Practice CFO is a part of our Associates on Fire program. Our Associates on Fire is an education platform free for dentists Uh, particularly early stage dentists who are in dental school, coming out of dental school, aspire to be practice owners, want to succeed in the private practice space and need to get education that really was never taught to them about being a practice owner or the business side of dentistry. 
Now, this is also many of the items in, in this program, Associates on Fire, are also relevant to practice owners such as this webinar and this podcast that we're on right now. So go to associatesonfire.com. You'll see all these videos, podcasts, downloadable resources, a lot of great content. I spent 18 months putting that together with our team here and it's very professional and uh, hopefully clear to give great education to uh, you early stage dentists and practice owners who really want to be successful in the private space of dentistry. All right, let's go on to kind of the biggest provision here that everybody's asking about is PPP round two, we're calling it. I think technically it's called the second draw. Now, the first draw or the first round of PPP came out way back in, in April of last year, and it was sort of uh, funded or rolled out right around that time period. And it ran out pretty quickly, and then they restocked the gunpowder in a second installment uh, sometime around, I think, May slash June. This is a whole separate addition to what was already issued during the CARES Act or under the CARES Act. So let's talk about this. Congress allocated an additional $284 billion uh, to the SBA for additional forgivable PPP small business loans. Now, they made it a little bit more restrictive, but for you dentists, you're, most of you are still going to be eligible for this new round. Should you apply for it or not? That's up to you. There's the letter of the law, which is, are you eligible for it? And then there's sort of, I guess I'll say the spirit of the law. Do you need it? Because there's plenty of businesses who need it. And the $284 billion could go out to businesses such as restaurants and the, um, and the travel industry and you know, things like that, companies like that, that are severely more impacted than uh, dentists are. But that's, that's your call. I'm just going to list... What are the, what's the letter of the law here? And the letter of the law is that you have to have under 300 employees and suffered a decline of 25% or more in any quarter, which I believe is calendar quarter of 2020 compared to the same quarter in 2019. Now, the amount that you can qualify for is effectively the same as under PPP1. So whatever you got there, pretty sure you can expect to get the same because it's 2.5 times your average monthly payroll costs. It says in the prior year or 2019. So you could use your average monthly payroll costs uh, in 2019 or if um, 20 or 2019 is higher then you could use 2019 is my understanding. And it's 2.5 times that amount. Again, remember, this is the paychecks protection program. Its whole design is that you are protecting the paychecks or keeping employed those that are uh, in your in your practice. Uh, now, there's a couple differences. Number one is qualifying expenses. The same expenses under PPP one are qualified to use these this PPP two money for, and that included your um, your payroll, your rent, your utilities your mortgage interest. But now under PPP2, they're saying you can also use it for PPE, supplies, software, and any expenses to modify the facility to comply with COVID-19 health and safety laws. So getting forgiveness was easy under PPP1. Getting forgiveness under PPP2 is even easier. Now, keep in mind to get forgiveness under PPP2, 
you still have to allocate, just like PPP1, 60% of the PPP2 funds that you receive to be used for payroll over a 24-week period. Now, I don't think that's going to be very hard under PPP2, same as under PPP1. We're expecting virtually all of our clients to get 100% forgiveness of their PPP1, and for those that apply for PPP2, likely would get that as well. Um, now, there was a simplified forgiveness program under PPP1 for those that received $50,000 or less. It was unbelievably easy. It was basically a signature uh, that the bank would have you sign a document with DocuSign or, or some other way. Uh, they're increasing that limit to 150000 which most of our clients, I'd say 80% of them had a PPP less than 150000 under PPP1. So I suspect that'll be the case under PPP2. And therefore, there should be a very easy way to get simplification under PPP2. Now, hold on one quick sec. Close down something. Let's make some sound here. All right. So, and what I would also say here, you can see on the slide number four, apply. You really, you want to apply with the same bank as PPP1 because really they already have all your data. So I suspect it'll be a much more streamlined process to apply for PPP2, assuming you apply using the same bank as PPP1. A lot of our clients are asking, will a practice CFO apply for PPP2? Well, as many of you know, we helped you or assisted you apply for PPP1 and helped you determine the amount that you're eligible for. Under PPP2, we need to see the application first. And right now, the SBA has not rolled out what the application requirements are going to be. They, they had 10 days, I believe, business days from the date it was signed into law, which would put it end of this week, early next week, that we should see that. So second week of January 2021. At that point in time, we'll send out an announcement, let you know whether we are going to be doing that or not. If not, we may send you a recording of how to simply apply for this on your own, because I believe it'll be pretty straightforward. It's during tax season for us. Our resources are already stretched extremely thin, given that fact. And uh, but but we may we will circle back with you once we see what that application looks like. Okay, let's go on to other business provisions of this new act. Uh, number one is that that previously many of you received the EID grant, the Economic Injury Disaster Grant. And, uh, and then the economic injury disaster loan. Well, the grant was the advance that you received up to $1,000 per employee maxed out at $10,000. And under the CARES Act, the amount of forgiven PPP1 was reduced by that grant. So if you got, let's say $8,000 because you had eight employees, then $8,000 of your PPP1 would not have been forgiven. Well, this new act basically uh, overrode that and said all of PPP1 is forgivable regardless of the grant. So the grant is forgivable, meaning you don't have to pay that back. And the full PPP is forgivable. You do have to pay. You don't have to pay that back. However, if you got the economic injury disaster loan, that portion is not forgiven. That's 3.75% interest rate over a 30-year period. You do need to pay that back. Many of you are asking, should I pay it back since I'm sitting on a, a bunch of cash right now? Many of our clients are, and that's a talk with your CFO advisor on that here at Practice CFO. So we understand your full context, but if you're sitting on a, a large pile of cash, it might not be a bad idea to pay some of, the back, some of that back, knowing that you can't use it to distribute out of your practice for personal use. You can't uh, use it to be buying another practice 
or buying equipment or doing a build out or expanding an op, things like that. The technically the EI deal is not supposed to be used for that. It's supposed to be used for working capital. And if you have plenty of other cash and heck, if you're going to be getting the PPP too, might as well avoid paying 3.75% interest on that EIDL loan. But again, talk with your advisor. What's the best situation for, for you? Okay. Uh, the next item is taxation of PPP1. Now, in prior webinars we've done, this was so back and forth. We knew that under the law, it said that it was not in CARES Act. PPP1 was not included in taxable income. The SBA made that clear. However, the IRS playing tug of war wants to get their sticky paws on more tax revenue. So they said, fine, it's not taxable, but any, any expenses you use PPP ones funds on, such as payroll and rent, et cetera, is not deductible, which in essence makes that exactly the same thing as it being taxable virtually. And so the IRS made that taxable. And I was always uh, optimistic and cautiously uh, would state that I believed that was going to be overridden and that it would become tax-free. Well, that has now happened under this new act. All of PPP1, regardless of every, regard, regardless of, of your financial situation, how impacted you were, your taxable income personally, regardless of all of that, it's all now tax-free PPP1. For those of you that are practice CFO clients, as you know, we meet with you a few times during the year. We do a comprehensive, what we call board meeting, where we look at end to end everything in your finances. Well, we were planning on the letter of the law, which is PPP1 is taxable. And so if we did that and we withheld taxes accordingly, some of you may be seeing a decent sized refund now that we know here in the beginning of January that the PPP1 is no longer included in taxable income. So that's great news for everybody. It's probably a good idea too, if you're going to get a big refund to apply it to 2021 taxes rather than take the refund. I think it'll get less scrutiny from the IRS. If you're going to get a $50,000 refund, you know, that you, you, you become a flag a little bit on the radar uh, of the IRS. They may, they may look at that. So you may just apply it to 2021 and your CFO advisor here, a practice CFO will plan accordingly around that in our cash flow and, and, and tax planning. Okay, the next item is business meals. In order to motivate companies to start paying uh, restaurants again, who have been impacted probably the most out of all this, <clears throat> they're now giving 100% tax deductibility for business meals. And uh, previously it was 50%. What are business meals? Business meals are meals a representative of your company has with current or potential business customer customers, clients, consultants, or similar business contacts. Entertainment expenses, keep in mind, are not tax deductible as they weren't previously. This is only business meals, whether you're out at a restaurant sitting you know, outdoors. Now, here in California, that's temporarily not available. But Or if you order food in to the office, that is now 100% tax deductible. So that's pretty awesome as well. Going on to the next item, student loan payments. As you know, there's been a moratorium that was through the end of the year on student loan payments, uh, which was great because student loans, students, borrowers did not need to pay that. And it didn't, uh, it, it didn't uh, capitalize their loan, meaning they weren't going to pay interest on, uh, on the unpaid interest. So now this has been extended for another three months through April 1st, 2021. Also extended 
what were the uh, the SBA loans that the federal government was paying certain SBA loans that were already in place before COVID hit, and they've now been extended at a longer. Now I'm going to read some additional details on this just to be real clear. For SBA 78504 and microloans that were made prior to the enactment of the CARES Act, the SBA will resume its payments of principal and interest for an additional three months, eight months for certain small businesses hardest hit by the pandemic. Now it's capped at $9,000 per borrower per month. For these loans, um, for loans made within six months of the enactment of the CARES Act or approved between February 1 and September 30th of actually this year, 2021, the SBA will pay the first six months of principal and interest capped at $9,000 per month. Please contact your lender if you think you qualify. Going on to the next one, the employee retention tax credit. This one's been... This, this one's been a little bit of a challenge, uh, understanding it, how you apply for it, who gets it, et cetera. Let me, let me, let me talk about this one for a sec. This was a, uh, an incentive or via a tax credit, a FICA tax credit or a payroll tax credit uh, for those employers who continued to pay their staff when they were forced to close down. Now, most of, I'm, I saw most dentists when they closed down did not pay their staff or their staff used, they went on unemployment, they were furloughed, government had great unemployment benefits during that period of time, et cetera. For some of you dentists who continue to pay your staff as a show of goodwill, this becomes, I think, more relevant uh, for you. Now, it could be relevant for others. You'll need to work with your payroll provider on that, which I'll talk about, but the employee retention tax credit um, is is for those part those those specific dentists who paid their their staff even when they were forced to close down back in uh, April March April May time period. Now, before if you got the PPP one, you were not eligible for this tax credit. It's a pretty good tax credit. They just changed that under this new law. So even if you got PPP one you can still apply and receive a tax credit. And it is retroactive back to March 12th, 2020. Um, now, in order to get that, you, the, your, your practice must have been forced closed, which for most of you it was, and you saw a reduction in gross receipts of 20% or more when compared to the same quarter in 2019. So let's assume Q2 2020, if you saw a 20% or more reduction in collections than Q2 2019, again, and you paid your staff on payroll while your office was closed, then you could receive this, which is basically up to $5,000 per employee during 2020. Uh, and then 7,000 if you end up paying them this quarter, but none of your offices are closed. I mean, this year, none of your offices are closed this year. So I don't see that being applicable, even though it is uh, available for the first two quarters of 2021. Uh, if you're a practice CFO client, your payroll company is MyPaySolutions. I, I wouldn't haul off and start uh, emailing them, asking them for guidance. We're working with them right now to find out exactly how to apply it and we'll provide more details uh, later, but it, it is a credit against your FICA and payroll taxes. So it will be done through payroll on the quarterly payroll tax filings. This isn't something you're 
your, your tax CPA, your general accountant is going to do. In other words, practice CFO is not filing for this because this needs to run through the payroll company. Now we'll provide information and help as, as needed. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Paying staff with COVID. Uh, we're seeing surprisingly a lot more staff of our clients getting COVID right now. We're also seeing a number of our doctors getting COVID as well. Prior to 2000, the, prior to the start of the new year, it was, you know, on a, on a hand, I could count the number that came through, but now it's, it's every day I'm getting some word on this. And so what do you do if your staff get the virus and they of course can't come into the office? Are you required to pay them? Well, under the uh, family first coronavirus uh, response act, the FFCRA, uh, you could pay them you were required to pay them. Now there's some debate whether you were uh, exempted from that as a health healthcare provider. I won't get into that, but I'll just assume that you're required to pay them. And the government is saying, Hey, we'll basically reimburse you dollar for dollar for that. And what you have to pay them is up to two weeks of their normal uh, work schedule. So let's say they work 30 hours a week, two weeks is going to be 60 hours and you have to pay them their full pay up to $511 per day, max. And the way you do that is you contact MyPay Solutions. Uh, for most of you, it's, it's Ginger over at MyPay Solutions if you're a practice CFO client, or if you're not, contact your payroll company and make sure that they show you specifically what row, when you're making that pay up to $511 per day for that staff, up to a two-week pay, that it goes in a certain row that is then marked as eligible for a, a credit offset, dollar-for-dollar dollar credit offset that will reduce your payroll taxes that you pay. Remember, you pay employer taxes, Social Security and Medicare of 6.2%, 1.45% of every dollar that you pay your, your staff up to about $140,000. And that's, that's quite a bit. So why not have that eliminated from what you have to pay and by apply, by uh, doing this the right way. Um, so definitely if it, here's, and here's the, the change with the new law is that it's now applicable or continues through March, 2021, March 31st. Now it's elective where before it was mandated. Now it's elective. And I'd say, why not do it? Your staff are getting the virus. The vaccine isn't out quite yet. You want to have goodwill with your staff. That's really important. I'm a believer in that. You want to go to bat for them and the government's going to end up paying. You're out of pocket for you know, a few months and for what you pay them. So I'd say I'd, I'd recommend to do that. Okay, let's go into some of the personal, the individual provisions. Really, there's just a couple simple ones here. There's another stimulus check coming out for $600 per adult. I think it's rolling out as we speak. However, most of our clients are not going to get this because the threshold of phase out is so low uh, for, rel I mean, relative to what a dental salary is. If you're single, that's $87,000. If you're married filing a joint, that's $174,000. If you're married filing separate, it's going to be more closer to the single side. So that's $174,000. If you make more than that taxable income, you're not eligible for this. Also keep in mind now that uh, the Democrats have won Georgia and basically control Congress, uh, the Senate. So all of Congress, uh, both the House and the Senate, and of course the White House, they are probably going to bump this up to maybe two thousand dollars. 
TBD, but that's, that's what I expect is going to happen since that's what they were really pushing for before. And it was only hell up because there was a Republican controlled Senate on that. Unemployment is expended, is extended to 50 weeks through March 14th, 2021. And a prior, as you know, the government had the federal government had layered on $600 uh, per month of unemployment to the, whatever the state unemployment is provided that somebody was eligible for the state unemployment. Now, so in California, that ended up being over $1,000 uh, a month for many people, if not most people, who went on unemployment. Well, now they've decided to keep this in place past December 31st, except they're lowering the amount of the federal uh, add-on from $600 down to $300. Okay, let's now go on to if an employee gets covid now, I spoke a little bit about this from the tax credit standpoint. Let me talk about this from what you're required to do um, uh, legally per, per the guidelines. Now, I will say we are not a law firm. I'm just laying out a couple basic provisions. We here at Practice CFO have had uh, two people test positive for the virus. So we've had to follow this on, uh, on our own ground here. Number one is uh, you alert any staff or patients who may have been exposed by the employee to immediately get tested. Uh, and thankfully, our two staff who got it have been at home for the past three or four months. Um, exposed staff can only return to work if they test negative. And in certain states like California, you may need to alert your workers comp provider. This is important if you're in California. Alert your workers comp provider and possibly your local health department. And uh, if you're looking at our screen that we have a, a, or got our newsletter, there was a link uh, to California's versions of those rules. And lastly, pay any COVID sick pay or presumptively sick employees using the COVID sick pay line item I described above in getting that tax credit for those that have it. After the two-week period, then it's really on, on the employees. They have to use their normal sick pay or their vacation pay or be uh, not uncompensated unless you, you know, want to continue to pay them on your own, your own dime. All right, if you are not a California resident, you are welcome to drop off at this point. Uh, although some of this may be applied in different formats in your own state. Let me uh, talk to California residents for a minute. Uh, California has uh, a couple, um, Governor Newsom has put in place a couple uh, programs to help small businesses. Now, these aren't, I'm not, I'm not terribly excited about these, and I'm not even sure if you're going to qualify. I doubt you will, but I'm just going to go over these because we get tons of questions on these anyways. The California grant program uh, was recently announced, and if you look on our screen, and I'll verbally say this for our podcast listeners, the amount that you would be eligible for, if you had under $100,000 in collections in 2019, you'd be eligible for, eligible for $5,000. If you had between $100,000 and a million in collections, you'd be eligible for $15,000 grant. And if you had uh, collections between $1 million and $2.5 million, you'd be eligible for a $25,000 grant. If you had collections greater than $2.5 million, you're not eligible for it. Now, on the CARE uh, the, the careliefgrant.com, careliefgrant.com, there's a ton of information on this, and they've actually done a good job at organizing that information, and I'm just looking at a, a PDF you can get on there when you go to apply. It's $475 million that they're funding on this. It's not a first-come, serve, first-serve basis. Instead, what's going to happen is they're going to have two rounds. Round one, they're going to distribute approximately $237.5 million. 
and then round two, the same amount. The deadline is January 13th, which I believe is uh, a Wednesday, a week from yesterday. Today's Thursday, January 7th. And the way it's going to work is um, eligibility isn't really defined by a certain percentage of reduction in revenue or any other way. It's going to be more subjective. And there's going to be individuals who the government appoints that will uh, vet applicants to find out who uh, they believe was most affected by COVID-19 and determine that way. Now, they're going to put an emphasis on underserved small businesses as they, li they list that off as being underserved small business groups, meaning um, minority persons of color owned small businesses, uh, low to moderate income, individuals with low to moderate income, and rural areas also women owned small businesses. So that's how, that's how they define that. And once all applications are in, then they sort of go through that vetting process. And that's pretty much all I want to say on, uh, on that one. So I'll let you use, uh, use that criteria, your collections, how badly you are affected by it and whether you are an underserved in an underserved small business group to determine whether you want to spend the time to apply for that uh, or not. Practice CFO is not applying for this for our clients. However, we can provide information as needed. Remember, we have an online uh, paperless way of, of getting all your financials month by month or for the year or tax returns, payroll reports through MyPay Solutions, our strategic payroll partner. It's all there online in a pretty accessible way. Number two, Main Street Business Tax Credit is a second initiative from California's government. And this one is more uh, easily, eligibility is more easily determined. L if you had a loss of 50% of revenue in 2020 Q2, compared to the same quarter of 2019, and you increase the total number of your employees from Q2 uh, in 2020 uh, to the months of July through November 2020. Now, I don't know exactly how to interpret this. I don't know if you have staff that are furloughed, that they're off payroll for a period of time. Are they not counted in Q2? Assuming they're not counted, well, then many of you will see an increase in your employee count. But I'm sure, I assume a lot of those employees were, maybe came back or were hired in a portion of Q2. So I, you know, my hunch is that most, most of my clients are not going to be eligible for this. That the amount of increase in their employees from Q2 last year to uh, July through November of last year won't be significant. And some of them may not even have seen a loss of 50% revenue during that period of time. Q2 of that period relative to Q2 of the prior period, partially because you're a cash-based business and you still had money coming in from, ins uh, from insurance companies and AR uh, that leaked into 2000 and or Q2 2020. Also, it's $1,000 per added employee. I mean, you might be looking at a few thousand bucks at most and uh, you're going to spend a bunch of time on it. So again, I'm not thrilled about this. In some ways, I think it's government trying to look pretty by saying we've got a small, you know, main street business tax credit. For some companies, I think that may become more relevant. For dentists, I think perhaps not so much so. And uh, if you do apply for that, application is due January 15th. Uh, also, okay, California dentists can now administer COVID-19 vaccines. I'm sure a lot of you have seen this in some email or newsletter you get. 
really interesting point here. And I'm, I'm going to pull up from the California Department of Consumer Affairs, their notice on this and just read a couple important items. They say, pursuant to the governor's executive order N3920, during the state of emergency, the director of the California Department of Consumer Affairs may waive any statutory or regulatory professional licensing requirements and immense scopes of practice pertaining to individuals licensed pursuant to Division Two of the Business and Professional Code, including, including dentists. And then later on down, it says, pursuant to this executive order, uh, the directive, the director waives, so using this order, using this provision, the director waives business and professions code section 1625 to the extent it prohibits licensed dentists from independently initiating and administering COVID-19 vaccines that are approved or authorized by the Federal Food and Drug Administration. Subject to the following conditions. Number one, they have to have been trained on programs available through the Center for Disease Control Actually, all of them are under that sort of title. And those uh, trainings are the COVID-19 vaccine training. Uh, number two, what every clinician should know about COVID-19 vaccine safety. Number three, what clinicians need to know about the Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines. And Pfizer, BioNTech, COVID-19 vaccine, what healthcare professionals need to know. So they just got a bunch of training that you have to do. And then it says the dentist complies with all applicable federal and state record keeping and reporting requirements, including providing documentation to the patient's primary care provider as applicable and enters information in the appropriate immunization registry designated by the immunization branch of the State Department of Public Health. The subject vaccine is administered in accordance with any applicable FDA uh, emergency authorization. Lastly, dentists acting within the scope of this order may independently initiate and administer to persons 16 years of age or older any COVID-19 vaccines that are approved or authorized by the FDA as specified and may also initiate and administer epinephrine and diphenhydramine by injection for the treatment of a severe allergic reaction. This order is effective immediately dated January 4th, 2000. 21. Now, in order to do this for some of these vaccines, you're going to have to have cold storage that can handle up to 60 degrees Celsius, negative uh, 60 degrees Celsius. But keep that in mind. Now, if we talk practically speaking or, or logistically, um, I'm sure there would, I, I don't know how it would be administered. That's something that I'm sure we'll find out details and for you to decide if you want to do this. I suspect, though, that if you market this definitely to your patients and just generally speaking, you could have uh, a significant amount of uh, traffic uh, requesting this. I have a client who has urgent care facilities and um, the amount of traffic and correspondingly uh, collections has been uh, about four times as high per month as what this individual was doing before. Now they were doing testing, not administering the vaccines, although I uh, suspect there will be a similar case when uh, they are administering vaccines which they're doing now, but you got to deal through with the logistical uh, questions of how do you do it? From what I understand is uh, they, the patient has to remain on site for 15 minutes in case there's an allergic reaction. You got to set aside time resources billing for this. I that's out of outside of my scope. I'll let you figure that out. But I thought that was a relevant item. So I wanted to include that in our newsletter and in here in this podcast and webcast. So that's, that's the end of the provisions. We'll probably do an update as more details roll out over the next month or two on this. So stay tuned. Um, I hope this was helpful. 
Uh, I will upload a copy of our PowerPoint uh, or even better, really the newsletter, which has all the details to our Associates on Fire website um, as well. If you would like to get that or be added to our email list for these sorts of education uh, events that we put on for dentists. With that, have a great start to the new year. Let's see great collections. It's tax season. Get your tax documents organized. Be organized. We are really grateful for our clients who do that for us. We try to do as much of the heavy lifting as we can. We love working with you. It's a busy time. Bear with us as we get through this. And um, good luck as you continue on in success in your, in your practice. Thank you.